You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to The Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. With your host, Nick Bat. The Prime Minister of Sweden visited Washington today, and my tiny little nipples went to France. And Bruce Nolan. Yo, brethren, what up with thee? Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. So we hope you had a wonderful Christmas. We are recording this before Christmas, <laughs> but you are hearing this after Christmas. So we hope that you got... All of the little gadgets and toys and pairs of socks and everything that you could possibly want for your holiday gift-ing. Wow, that was weird. What do you want for Christmas, Nick? Ooh, what do I want? I want some nice salt and pepper grinders. Nice. I was at Aldi, actually, the other day. And they had, like, novelty ones, like, with, like, violet sea salt or, like, smoked chili sea salt. They were $3, and they came with a grinder. And it, the way it looked, it, you could reuse the grinder. It was like, you know, I, I had asked for some that were on Amazon that were, like, $15. I could have just got two of the violet sea salt ones and dumped them out, and voila. But live and learn. What wow. do you want for Christmas? So... Security system? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very Bruce thing. So Minefield? My wardrobe is very, uh, very simplistic. Anyone who's spent any meaningful time with me, all three of you in the world, would tell you that as a general rule, jeans, printed t-shirts, hooded zip-up hoodies, um, military jackets, tennis shoes, baseball caps, baseball tees, and like Henley's, that's pretty much the entirety of Bruce's wardrobe. That's not, you know, business casual clothes. So I have two military jackets I really like a lot. I have an olive green one and I have like a like a tan colored one. And I really need like a gray one or a black one. So I'm kind of hoping somebody gets me one of those. So that's that's pretty high on my list because I gray is my favorite my favorite color, as you probably could imagine because gray goes with basically everything so i love gray gray is my favorite color so yeah it's very on brand i think for me i just discovered something i really wanted but i didn't know it even existed until like three days ago and it is a brita filter that filters as you pour 
so you don't have to let it trickle or drain. It will, you can just put in tap water, and then when you pour it, it doesn't pour incredibly slow. It pours at a pretty reasonable rate, but it will, it has a, the filter that it, it has works so that it just filters as you pour. And that would be great because I consistently wind up setting a Brita filter in the sink, turning the faucet on very, very slow and letting it trickle into the reservoir at the same speed that it's trickling into the Hopefully. thing. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it never works out. It winds up overflowing. Then sometimes you have too much water. You just don't have enough. And then you got to shove it in the fridge and you know that it's not, you know, you didn't get it to full capacity and you just like, you just grieve that all day. Hold that, please. You walk away from it while it's going. Yeah. It Why does it overflow? What kind of sociopath doesn't watch it while it's filling? I know. I you, you walk away and then you just try to finesse that you will come back to it like your internal clock is perfect. And then you come back to it. And then the sense of satisfaction when that works out is off the charts. And, you know, the 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 consequence of it overflowing isn't as bad as I'm making it sound, but it's not ideal. In general, it's just an imperfect system. And this other device allows us to take a step towards a more perfect system or just stay in the kitchen find something else to do that takes roughly that equivalent amount of time to no, be timed what like like i i don't have things that take eight minutes to do in the kitchen at any one point in time peel and chop up a cucumber i don't need to do that all the time i refill my brita filter probably six times a day if i don't go to work so use the cucumber for the water make cucumber water well, that's an alt that's a possibility, sure, but it's not it's not what I do. I also want to start doing some more home brewing. I used to home brew a while back, right when I first got out of college, but I would always do it on the stove and I would just it destroy my stove because that the the wort that you're boiling will easily very very easily overboil, especially when you're using a pot that isn't the correct size, which I always did, and make a horrible mess. So I want to get an outdoor propane burner like a turkey fryer so i can i can start doing that again this uh this spring well i hope you pay more attention to that than you your brita filter when it's filling boom roasted it is yes moderately more (laughs) (laughs) so we are here to talk about things that are probably less enjoyable than the conversation that we just had and less enjoyable than opening up the gifts that hopefully all of our listeners just got and that is to recap the Bills' loss to the New England Patriots. Now, it's it's certainly not it's certainly not as bad as it could have been. We did not get blown out. We definitely gave them a run for their money. We got some very exciting plays. The end of half sequence. I was lucky enough to be at the Bills' backers bar in Cleveland, and that end of half sequence was insane. It was awesome to be. You know, it, it's, it's particularly special for anybody who's not in Western New York. I think this isn't necessarily fair to say t- to people who are local, but you know, when you're not there and you, you just don't get it, you, you don't get a lot of fan interaction, you don't get a lot of being around your brethren, so to speak, and then you get to do that and experience it in a communal setting, it can be really special whenever the heart, you know, has had to go without for a long period of time. And I got to do that on Sunday, on Saturday at the Bills Backers Bar. And it was, it was really, I mean, it was really special. So that end of half sequence was some of the most exciting football I can remember being, um, you know, able to experience with others in a, in a long, long time. So 
we, I don't know, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with, I, I know the thing that I am most interested in that I think a lot of people were talking about during the game and, you know, uh, we will talk about again whenever we play the Patriots again, whether it's this season or next, but is there anything in particular that is top of mind for you that would be the first thing that you'd want to talk about? You talk about it yours first. Go on. Mine is Julian Edelman. Okay. Mine is when you, their offense was, I think, better than I expected it to be. They, yeah. they, put, they, they put up 24 points. They just looked a lot more able than I expected them to. Their reputation had become over the past month that they even when they want to do things, they just really can't do them. And this they looked like the well-oiled screen machine that we had seen for a long time. Tom Brady looked like a, a you know, a pretty dangerous, accurate passer, especially in the in the short intermediate stuff. And their run game was potent. I mean, they got one to two yard pushes almost every play in a split second from when the ball was snapped. And those things are, you know, I, that's going to hurt you. That's that's going to hurt you, especially whenever you have an offense like ours, which is is inconsistent. So the thing that I wonder about with Julian Edelman is it's not really a mystery of what he does. And he's not exactly the physical specimen that Gronkowski was. Gronk was, you knew maybe what Gronk was going to do, but you just couldn't stop him because he's bigger than you. You know, he's the big brother playing with the little brother around the plastic play school basketball hoop and can dunk it without leaving the ground. Edelman is not that way. Now, I'm not saying he's not a skilled player. There's a lot of players who have done what he does, Wes Welker before him in New England specifically, but there's, there's a place for players like this in the league and they, they find success. I guess I just don't know how there isn't a book on him as to how to shut him down, especially whenever you start think you're getting into a point in time where Brady's ability to do alternate things is perhaps declining. One of the things that the Patriots have historically done very well with Julian Edelman is they have they have hidden him very well. And what I mean by that is they'll put him in motion and they'll keep him off of a single target. So one of the things that offenses can do that really helps give their players help. And one of the things I suggested that the Bills do with Cole Beasley this week in my Buffalo Rumblings article was get him into trip sets, get him in the slot, get him in motion, put him in the backfield, do what you have to do to get him a free release. Because Julian Edelman with a free release is dangerous in the middle of the field. And that's what the New England Patriots have historically done with Edelman. It's not as simple as, well, let's just jam him at the line. Well, he's not at the line. He's moving horizontally, and he's off the line, and he's in the backfield, and he's in motion. And all of those things are helping him get cleaner releases than you would expect from a player of his particular physical skill set. And that's one of the things that that Patriots have always done with Julian Edelman. In addition, the Texans and the Chiefs doubled Edelman on third down all the time. The Bills, for whatever reason, elected not to do that early in the game. Now, they started to do it later in the game. 
But by then, a lot of the damage had been done, and his biggest play came on something that wasn't a third down. So early in the game, he was beating us on third down, and then we decided we were going to start doubling him on third down, and then he started beating us on earlier downs. And Taron Johnson just got whooped on him. And that's the other thing that really, really affected him. He just got whooped. And when you have a player who can gain separation in the intermediate areas of the field with crafty route running, and you have a quarterback who can consistently throw an accurate ball on time, that's just going to be a hard thing to stop when you don't have the right coverage called. Because there is a certain element, I've said this before, there is a certain element of rock, paper, scissors to play calling that fans are not necessarily comfortable with. And when you have the wrong play called for the route concepts that are called, then you need to have the horses, right? There's two ways you can win. You can win with a scheme and you can win with the horses. And you're not always going to win with the scheme. That's just not the way it's always going to work because you're not always going to have the right play called for their play. And when you don't, you need to have the horses. And Taron Johnson was not up to snuff this time. If you have one game, let's say we're going to meet them in the playoffs. And you have the concern, which I would have, maybe you maybe you would, and maybe you wouldn't have the concern, but I would have the concern that Edelman is going to eat us for lunch all day. First down, second down, third down, fourth down. I mean, I, I think that he's he can be found at any point in time. So he's not stationary at the line of scrimmage 70% of the time. So... Planning on just jamming him every single play probably isn't going to work out. And even on the plays where you do, there's a 20% chance, 25% chance that he's a professional athlete. He's going to make you look dumb. He's going to, you're not going to get the clean jam. And he's going to, he's going to be ahead of you in 1.5 seconds because you didn't get a good, you didn't get a good hit on him. Right. So it's, it's difficult to do that. And, Apparently, covering him with multiple multiple guys in coverage is a gamble, or is is a a commitment. Maybe you didn't. Maybe the Bills didn't want to make. What exists? I mean, we, this is potentially two or three weeks away. But what exists to address a player like that? If Cole Beasley was there, we would probably be talking about Cole Beasley doing you know kind of similar things if he had chosen to sign there as opposed to come to Buffalo. Uh, you know, like he's not the only guy, but what do you, what can you do? Well, if you, if you don't have the horses, which Taron Johnson right now is, is I, not the horse looks, looks right? like not the guy, you know, there are, there are some scheme things that can help you with it, but you can't ultimately, you can't guess correctly on every single play. You can't, if they have man beaters built in that are going to, I mean, pick plays are man beaters, right? The idea behind a pick play is that it's going to beat a man. And so you can't play man the entire game because if they got a pick play set up, then you are in the wrong coverage for that. And if you play zone the whole game, then you don't get the pressure and he'll pick you apart. So it's not like you can do one thing and say, okay, we're good. Now, my initial reaction is... Play Taron Johnson, double him with Jordan Poyer, bracket him with Jordan Poyer for the in-breaking routes. Play cover one, keep Poyer down in the box around him. Play Murphy less, play Jordan Phillips less. Play Oliver, 
Latulale, Hughes, and Lawson, overwhelmingly amount of time, 75% of the snaps, right, to deal with the fact that there's probably going to be some run plays there and hope they call hope they call the pick plays. I mean, that's one of the things you just got to be able to have Tredavious White play on and Keel Harry and trust that Tom Brady's not going to beat you with a tertiary option. Here's Okay, so here's one of the things I think is a hang-up for people is you said the, the conversation we're having right now is that you cannot just take this player away from their offense. No. You cannot just say you don't get to do anything. Alternatively, a lot of times you can do that on an exclusively outside receiver. You can put Trey mm-hmm. White on him, and then you can bracket him with a safety. And now, basically, if the quarterback is going to force the ball to that player at any point in time, it's going to be in a contested catch double coverage situation. Sure. And the the difference is the the part of the field that the routes originate in mm-hmm. and the kind of routes they're running. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Well, the sideline is an extra defender when you have an outside receiver. You They can't run, you know, significant routes tree from the outside that they can from the inside. That's just the way that geometry works, right? That's just the way it is. And so one of the things that you'll hear oftentimes receivers complain about, about an offensive system, is I'm in the same spot every time. Defenses know exactly how to stop me because I'm in the same spot every time. And when you hear a, a dominant receiver like Julio Jones or A.J. Green, you're saying, and you're like, hey, one of the things we can do to stop him from getting messed up is put him in the slot and move him around. All the things that you see offenses that New England runs do with Edelman, other offenses do with receivers that they think are their guy to keep defenses from keying in on them. Okay. I think that's the big thing is people, you know, pick your pick your week. Cortland Sutton week or A.J. Green didn't play against us. Who, who's their speedy guy? John Ross, mm-hmm. right? Like they, there are weeks this season where we and everybody else talking about the game ahead of time said we got to get we got to shut down this receiver this receiver is dangerous we want to take this away from their offense and we were potentially i mean sometimes successful in doing so and the offense is sort of allowing us to do that by the way in which they play and position that player. The Patriots are intentionally making it so that you cannot do that with Edelman. Absolutely. But, but I'm at the bar and I've watched the game with other people. And I think any of us who have watched games with fellow Bills fans against the Patriots over the past several years have heard fans around us say, how do you let that guy beat you? How do you let that guy get open? How do you let? How do you let? How do you let? The fact is, you're not letting them do anything. The offense is prioritizing that player and and giving them space, creating the opportunity for them to get, you know, uh, get creating the opportunity or removing your opportunity to shut them down like some of these other guys. And there there just doesn't exist a solution. Correct. And it's, it's frustrating for fans to hear, but it's not always as simple as, well, just don't let him catch the ball. Like, that's not it's not that simple. And with Edelman, the Patriots offense is specifically designed to not let you get on him. And that's frustrating, but you either have to have the horses or you have to have the right play called. And when you don't have the right play call, you definitely need the horses. And Taron Johnson wasn't up to snuff. And more often than not, we didn't have the right play called. Well, I guess the the, the purpose of this conversation for my, for my end of things is to get out there. We might face this again in three weeks two and a half, whatever it is, two and a half weeks, three weeks, we may we may run into this 
opponent again, depending on how things fall. If we if we beat either Kansas City or Houston. And when that happens and we potentially go to New England, this isn't going to be a problem again. And it's not going to be, well, Edelman beat us the first time or Edelman beat us the first two times. This time we got to take him away. It's still it's still going to be the same challenge, and it's probably still going to be a situation where he will likely still get his if that's what the New England offense prioritizes. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about Josh Allen. This is this is what you wanted to uh, this is what you wanted to get into, right? Mm-hmm. So going into this game, one of the narratives was, what are the Bills going to do about Cover Zero? Cover zero pressure. What are they going to do? The Patriots really didn't run much of it. And one of the things I thought was interesting, and I haven't seen this take out there, so I'm really hoping that no one puts it out on Twitter or anything before this pod drops. <laughs> three days. <laughs> so it was pretty clear to me that Brian Dable and the offensive personnel on this team expected to see a lot of cover zero pressure and came into the game with the right things called, in their opinion, to beat it. And then we didn't get it. And then we didn't get it. So this is where I talked about, I talked about this last week, with Bill Belichick always having a counterpunch to know how he's going to do and then do the thing to stop the thing he's going to do. Well, in this case, Bill Belichick said they're going to be expecting us to cover zero pressure. That's just what they'll be (laughs) expecting us to do. Maybe we ought to turn on the searchlights now. just what they'll be expecting us to do. And then he didn't do it. So, And it's genius when he doesn't right. do it, right? So what what we didn't do is we didn't see the things that we thought we were going to have the answers for. So it was pretty clear to me early in the game, we went heavy. We had Patrick DeMarco in. We had Lee Smith in. And we were like, okay, this is our plan to beat cover zero pressure. It was very similar to what we decided to do to beat it against Pittsburgh. A, a version of Max Protect. Right. And so there's a couple different ways you can beat cover zero. The first is you can go Max Protect, right? You and I have talked about this before. It is not my preferred way of beating cover zero. My preference would be just have Josh Allen make better decisions, right? That's my preference because the issue is when you pull Max Protect and then they don't bring it, You've got no. You've got two guys in the right. route. Is you've you got you got two guys in the route. Josh Allen has nowhere to go with the ball, and you have your inferior players on the field. And that's even, important. And even if Josh is going to run, you've got a lot of fast guys in the second. Like there's a lot of fast guys who didn't come at him that are ready to make the tackle two yards downfield. Mm-hmm. And you've got really slow people out who can't block downfield for <laughs> yeah. you. So ideal situation, a <laughs> really great situation. So early in the game, one of the reasons why the offense looked crappy early in the game is I really truly believe that they were expecting cover zero pressure they, from them. They decided, yeah. okay, this is the plan to counter that. We're here's what we're going to do. We're going to go max protect. We're going to bring in Lee Smith. We're going to bring in Pat DeMarco, and we're going to give Josh Allen time to hit things downfield. And then the Patriots said. Well, we're not going to do that this time. <laughs> the plan that we used to beat you week four is not the only plan necessary to beat you. Yeah. And so we're not going to do it. So it took until later on in the game for Patrick DeMarco and Lee Smith to get phased out and for the Bills to go, okay, let's let's spread it. And then on the very last play of the game, they brought cover zero again. <laughs> and I was like, oh, gosh. I was slap happy by the end. 
because they brought Tomahawk at the very end. And I was like, that was what we th- we thought we were going to see that in the first quarter. And we didn't see it. Until and the last play We <laughs> shifted to, to stop and to not accommodate for something they weren't doing. And then at the very end of the game, they did the thing that we weren't prepared for, but we would have been prepared for it had they done it at the beginning of the game. It's just one of the reasons why we got outcoached. We did. We got outcoached, and Josh Allen played terribly. Yeah, I think the thing that's frustrating is that fans. It was it was obvious to me, and I'm you know I'm not I'm not the the smartest you know fan out there, the analyst type fan, right? Like that's not that's not what I do. But it was obvious to me that on offense we were trying to play the Pittsburgh game again. We were trying to go slow. We were trying to play keep away, and we thought it was going to be a low-scoring game. But we just have to get a couple more points than them, and that's we're going to grind this out. And their offense showed up and was way better than Pittsburgh's offense, which maybe we didn't expect. And I, to me, their defense was definitely confusing Josh. And I'm, and perhaps it's exactly for what you said. Josh is going into this game plan expecting this, and he's prepared to deliver this. Okay, he's expecting cover zero. He's he's prepared to try to beat cover zero. Okay, well they're not doing it, and he doesn't have Dable in his ear. You know he's lined up, and it's obvious they're not going to do cover zero. And now it's four seconds on the clock before he has to snap the ball. He gets no answers to the test beforehand because Dable's already gone at 15 seconds, and all of the things that I think kind of played to our strength was just not happening. And I I very quickly. You know, now they could have, maybe they would have, you know, the Patriots would have just flipped back and forth. And then we just, we're just always one step behind. Who knows? But I very quickly and very early in the game was hoping, like, we've got to go back to hurry up. Josh is clearly not understanding everything he's seeing across the line of scrimmage. And we need, like, if Dable gets it, we, like, it would be nice to, to like, give Josh that information for four seconds. And it just wasn't happening. On that note, Josh Allen played badly. So, not mediocre, not average, not good, badly. So we need this. This needs to be one of those weeks where we're willing to have tough, tough conversations with each other and with other fellow Bills fans. Josh Allen played badly. Josh Allen missed a lot of throws that would have extended drives. He missed a lot of throws that would have gotten us there. And now, did he make a couple plays? That were really awesome. Yeah. Well, they're the, they're the plays that are his ceiling. They're the reason that he's there. We, You can make an argument we saw the return of YOLO, Josh. Yeah. Against the Patriots. He mm-hmm. hit a couple really big plays, and he made some plays with his leg and made some wow plays that no one else can make. Mm-hmm. But he also missed on plays that any reasonably competent NFL quarterback would not have missed on. I mean... Third down plays where he's late and inside and should have gotten picked. Third down plays where Cole Beasley is crossing across the middle of the field and open and Josh Allen misses him mm-hmm. wide. Open corner routes. Those are open plays that Josh Allen has to hit to Dawson Knox that would have tied the game late in the fourth quarter or given us a, a 7-0 lead instead of a 3-0 lead. Mm-hmm. These are plays that Josh Allen has to make. Taking sacks and drifting backwards farther and farther away from the line of scrimmage when you shouldn't, these are bad plays. The bad outnumbered the good by a lot. Now, the good was flashier because when you throw a ridiculous incompletion that shouldn't be there, it kind of lands emotionally on you like a dud. And when he hits a ridiculous deep ball that, let's be honest, that throw to John Brown 
probably better than the Foster throw to the Jaguars when you consider everything. That was a ridiculous throw. Uh, Also, John Brown was not open when he threw it. When he threw it, I don't know if he knew that Patrick Chung was flat-footed. He threw it, and John Brown was basically even with Gilmore and Chung when he threw it. And it landed right in the breadbasket, in stride. That was a ridiculous throw. I, I almost like the Dawson Knox throw better. The angle at yeah, which he drops the angle at which he drops that over the defender because the defender is directly between Knox and him, and like the the steep the steep drop that that ball needed to have to clear mm-hmm. the defender into Knox was I mean that's pretty it was pretty and ridiculous. That's the issue with Josh Allen. The issue with Josh Allen is the quality of the highs does not make up for the quantity of the lows, and that's the thing. That he's got to get rid of. The lows are too much in quantity to make up for the quality of the highs. And so it's one of those things where, yes, those plays are ridiculous and they're awesome. And the fourth down where he gets stuffed and then bails out, gets his face mask twisted and dives over. That's awesome. But if he could complete these easier passes and wasn't missing the mark, those plays might not be necessary. And that's the problem with Josh Allen. Josh Allen did not play well. He certainly played better than he did the first time. The first time he was abysmal. This time he was bad. So he should get credit for improving because he clearly did. And the improvement is clearly there. I put a a tweet out today that if this is Josh Allen's last game of the regular season, and it should be, we should rest him against the Jets then there's some fairly notable statistical improvement for a lot of things that he has done this year. But Josh Allen took a step forward this year. He did not take a leap forward. We need to take another step forward in 2020 because I've said this before this year. If he doesn't get any better than what he is right now, then he's a bust, but we've already seen him get better. So I'm, feel perfectly reasonable to give Josh Allen an entire another year. I am completely fine reserving judgment on whether or not Josh Allen's the guy until the end of 2020. I'm completely fine because I've already seen him take a step forward quantitatively and a step forward qualitatively. And if he takes another step equivalent to the step he took, yeah, he'll have, be the guy. Yeah, we're, we're pretty much in business at that if point. If he takes another step forward, we're talking mid-60s completion percentage next year. We're talking mid-sevens as far as yards per attempt. We're talking, I mean, this is a perfectly reasonable starting quarterback in the NFL if he takes a step forward from 19 to 20 equivalent to the step he took from 18 to 19. And you still occasionally get the flash. And you still occasionally get the flash. And when the flash happens, if the flash happens at the right place in the right time in the right part of the season, that's... I mean, that's Joe Flacco taking you to the Super Bowl stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And we can acknowledge that and simultaneously say, Josh Allen played bad. Not not great, not good, not okay, bad. Yeah, it just depends on, I think, where you stand on things right now. Because for me, I'm not saying Josh Allen's the guy. I certainly wouldn't entertain somebody saying he's not the guy. You you could... I, I... I you if you were to say nope he's not he's not it I would say I can't I don't know how you are in that headspace I, I I can't like that I could I could understand why people are saying that he is the guy I don't agree with you uh, I I would not 
I would not sign up for that subscription yet. No. But I can understand why people are there because of, because of the growth and because of the flash and because of just the ceiling of what he could be hasn't come down a whole lot, maybe a couple of notches, but the ceiling is still pretty far up with what you thought he could be. So I, I get it. And I think that if you are a person who is is leaning that direction, which maybe I'm leaning in that direction, I'm, I'm optimistic that he will continue to grow because he has already grown as much as he has. If that's where you're at, which is, I, I guess, admittedly, that's where I'll say, that's where I'll say I'm at. And he has a game like this against the best defense in the league. I kind of am just like, well, I mean, like, A, he's not a finished product, and B, like, good guys have bad days. And that is a, a, a logic, a line of logic that I can get behind, except for the fact that the quantity of the negatives that we talked about that absolutely outweigh the quality of the positives, the quantity of the negatives do, are a lot of times they're not defense forced. These are people who are open, and he's missing them. Sure, I. I so here's he's not I, misreading a coverage. Yeah, I think he's he, he made kind, the right call. There's a guy open, and you missed him. He's kind of. Um, I kind of am starting to get come to this conclusion about Josh a little bit. He's kind of a. He's kind of a good day, bad day guy. And if he's having a bad day, you just gotta hope that he has like two good drives at the end. But he's if he's like on off he, he, when he's off it's not like he doesn't come back super super quick that this is just my this is just like how I'm thinking about it when I'm watching him and how I process it but it's like oh this is this is we're not gonna get the best of Josh today so you and I have never been Josh Allenist Cam Newton kind of people you and I have never been no. on board that train no nope. Marcel Louis Jacques. And you and I talked at Ted's hot dogs about that and I was intrigued as to why he thought that was a that was a bad comp. And I think he made a really reasonable, and I, I was playing devil's advocate in that scenario, but we've never been really super committed to the Josh Allen and Cam Newton comp. I went back and I looked at one of my favorite comps for Josh Allen, which is yours, which is Donovan McNabb. And I also went back and I looked at Matthew Stafford after their first two years. And I understand that we live in a slightly different NFL, but those people are not so far away that it's ridiculous. Yeah, you don't want to go. It's not like you go to Jim Kelly's numbers. You, you don't I wanna, see some people doing that. I'm like, come on, guys. You, you don't want to go too much further back than McNabb, but that's about that's about it. And, you know, we're talking high 50s in completion percentage after their second year. With Matthew Stafford, it was a lot of injury concerns. And Matthew Stafford, to be fair, absolutely blew up his third year. I mean, just blew up. But it was one of those scenarios where... I just don't think you can pick a player at seven overall knowing full well that he's unbelievably raw and then give him a year and a half and write. I just don't I, you just can't do it in my mind. You just can't. So I am totally on board with giving Allen 2020. And if he doesn't get any better in 2020, if he's the same guy he was in 2019, then, OK, we'll move on and we'll find somebody else. And if he's better then all right, let's sign up. Let's do it. Because you have to start making decisions on fifth-year options, and I don't want to be in a Trubisky situation with the Bears where they still don't know. I want to be decisive. Yes, he's the guy. No, he's not. And after 2020, I think three full years is enough. I think if I come to you at the end of 2020 and say, Josh Allen's not the guy, I don't think you can reasonably counterpoint with he needs more time. Absolutely not. I will not entertain it at that point. I'm entertaining it now. 
and I should, I think, be entertaining. I think it's reasonable to be entertaining it now. But if 2020 comes around at the end of 2020 and I say he's not the guy and you say he needs more time, I will not listen at that point. Yeah, in a vacuum, I think that makes sense. It just depends on how it looks and and depends on what he deals with. Um, but in general, what's your what's your take on the so right now because of and part of it is because I think he is still very raw. Like he's made a lot of progress, but he's still he's still kind of he still strikes me as raw, and and he almost strikes me as like when he goes in to the game. If you throw him curveball, curveball, knuckle, and he's expecting fastball, fastball, slider. If you throw that at him in the like early in a game, I don't know that he's in a position where like he wraps his head around that and comes back and answers very well that game. Now he might have a couple drives, which is he, he kind of turns it on at the end, and maybe that's because. You know, for whatever reason, defensive coordinators, what they're giving him at the end, they're they're just, you know, they're going away. They're trying to hold on. So maybe they're calling a little bit different things. Who knows what the what exactly is happening? But I, I kind of just think uh, if you confuse him and if there's anybody who's good at confusing quarterbacks, it's it's Bill Belichick. I mean, that's his guys the best ever. I mean, it's the best ever. It's not just he's not good. He's the, he's the best potentially of all time. At yeah, doing he's the it. GOAT. He's, he's literally the best of all time. Our second year raw quarterback gets confused by him and has a bad game and plays bad, objectively bad or abysmal earlier this season. Like, I'm not that surprised, nor am I that upset. Like, it's it's not a good, it's not a great match. I mean, it's a tall task. Yeah. You know, he has to do it. He has to figure it out. He has to be at least a certain level of reasonable so that the team can compete and attempt to win. But it, like, it just doesn't get me upset. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it, it, the context of this and, and, and like some of the reasons behind it, it's like, wait, I, it would have been great if it happened and it was good. The fact that it was bad, like, we're going to play these guys. Let's just say everything stays the same forever. We're going to play these guys twice a year. we got 14 other games against coaches who aren't the GOAT. Like, he, he might still be quite good. We might go 14-2 and two every year. You know yeah, what I mean? He can simultaneously, we can simultaneously admit that he played badly and also not have it really move the needle for us long term yeah. on how we feel about Josh not Allen. Not with this opponent, it doesn't for me. And it doesn't move my needle a whole lot. Except for the fact that he did better than he did before. Yeah, that's before a, he yeah. was abysmal, and now he was bad. Yeah, that's. I mean, it really is a positive. It's one of the things, right? Is like you want to see if I mean, Joe Marino. He, he, I don't know if he told it to you or me or what the situation was. You look if you want to know how a quarterback is progressing. Look at how they play their division opponent the second time. So, we look at that this year against the New England Patriots, and he did better. It was still not a great product, but it was improvement. So. Uh, we were going to go ahead and take a quick break. We will be right back with you, and we will continue to go into this. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. He's excited. That's what he is. Well, I, I felt like your energy was a little low there. I was just trying <laughs> to kind of like bring us up here. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Do you want to talk about the Patriots or the Bills again? I got one for each. Let's talk about the Bills. Bad tackling. Super bad tackling. Very. Not great, Bob. I mean, like, unusually bad tackling. I think, did we have we had one or two bad games? Maybe, one, like, one and a half bad games with tackling early season? Yeah. Out, of, out of 15 games. Not, ha- we haven't been an overly good no, tackling team this year. It's been 
okay. It's been, it hasn't been a problem. It hasn't been this kind of a problem. No, it hasn't been that kind it's of a problem. It's been the kind of problem where it's like we, we lost the game in, you know, in significant measure because of tackling. We lost the game in significant measure because of tackling on Saturday. So is that is that just a thing that just springs up sometimes? Like you just – you know, you coach it, you coach it, you coach it, and then you're fine or you're adequate or you're, you're professional level, whatever. It is. Maybe you're really good even. And then you just have you just have an afternoon where it just isn't happening. And it's not like it's one guy. You know what I mean? You've got, you've got 16, 17, 18 guys who are playing rotational positions on your defense. And when you've got that many guys who are participating and what? I don't know, 30% of them, 40, 35%, 45% of them are having these situations where they're just not bringing guys to the ground in full. It's, 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 it strikes me as fluky because there's so many guys trying to do the same thing who are unusual, having unusual difficulty. It's a little bit fluky, and it's also a little bit coaching. It's a little bit fluky. It's a little bit coaching. If you remember correctly, last week, Sean McDermott didn't have his players – in, they had kind of a, a kind of a walkthrough last week because he listened to his leadership council and said, "Hey, we're a little beat up after the Ravens game," and so th- there's 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 some of this Short because week Belichick t- teams have a tendency to not not miss tackles like we do. So part of it's a little coaching, part of it's a little fluky. I don't think it's anything to freak out about right now. It's just an unfortunate thing that happened. I, th- I guess the thing for me is like. Pick a team that's going to the playoffs. Uh, what is it? Uh, Kansas City? Okay. Now I don't. I don't think this is true. Is Kansas City a terrible tackling team? Is that their reputation? They're just god awful at tackling. No. Okay. I think that there have been multiple games in my lifetime where you watch that team in the playoffs, wild card round or divisional round, and they don't have a reputation for being a bad tackling team. That this is a problem, and they lose that game. In in part or significant part, because like they just can't bring anybody to the ground that week. You don't know why. You just like what the what the fuck? Where did this come from? Like what is this? This hasn't been a problem all year. Now all of a sudden, this is how we're going to end our season, right? If you're a fan of that team, I just don't like. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we focus on it when we know it's a problem. Okay, we're going to focus on it this week because like, what the hell was that, everybody? But I, you know, like. Is this a huge indictment on our defense or on our coaches or on I don't, our players? I, don't I just think so. just don't feel that way. Like it's bad. It's all. It's a little bit bad fluke luck. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's not entirely fluky, right? There is a little bit of coaching. There is a little bit of things technique that goes into that. I mean, Jordan Poyer well, missing Julian Edelman's tackle was absolutely a technique issue. Yeah, I right? mean, he well, took the wrong angle and he kind of shoved him down, and it didn't quite work. And that's that's on Jordan Poyer. Yeah, but it's also a short week. I mean, so you're playing on Saturday, not Sunday. The walkthrough stuff. I mean, like you, you, this is going to happen more and more. I mean, next year between the the ratings, we were the most watched game on Saturday, and by a lot, and the most watched game I think on a like in that time slot for a long time. Like we are going to get a lot of unusual time games next season: Thursday night, Monday night, Sunday night, and these things they they mess with your calendar. They mess with your next week's calendar. So like we are going to have to figure out how to not have tackling be an issue whenever we have abbreviated weeks, whether we're banged up or not. I guarantee you Sean McDermott hates primetime games. Oh, absolutely. Guarantee it. I hate him, but I, I'm sure he I hates hate him. him too. He's a, you know, he's just like many of us. 
he is the ultimate, I mean, the bigger than us creature of habit and, and routine and commitment and all of that. And that all gets interrupted when you are flattered by being put on these pedestals. So it's the price you pay and we're not going to get around it. So it is what it is. Okay. Part of the bad tackling it's a similar frustration. They're kind of like two keys on the same key ring to me is the Patriots screen game was, I mean, it was objectively it's, it's laudable. I mean, it is, it is beautiful. It is, they are so good at it and it is so frustrating because I think again, this year, the the Pats offense has been, you know, suspect. And so maybe this game was a little bit different in its preparation and what you thought they were going to do versus what they did. I don't know. I I kind of think that anytime you face Tom Brady, especially at this point in his career, the man wants to throw screen passes because that's very easy on his arm. And it is a lot of intelligence. It's a lot of positioning. It's a lot of committing to your fakes and then delivering the ball. And that's his strong suit when you're 42 years old and you're a great quarterback. Your strong suit is your mind, not your body. And the screen game seems like it's a very intelligent, intellectual kind of offense. That being said, when you know it's coming, you really, really know it's coming. They had so much success with it. And the other thing that drives me crazy about it is the Pats offensive line is like, there's some no name guys on there. They have some injuries. They, you know, some of the guys who were there five, 10, six years ago, anywhere in that time frame, 15 years ago, they're gone. They're, they're well, they're well on to other places or done playing. This isn't that line yet. These no names are climbing to the second level and they are sealing off good players. Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. I mean, they are sealing them off and giving these guys catching the screen passes, whether it's Edelman or one of the many running backs, just, I mean, really, really productive yards. Is that bad on us for not being able to stop it? Is it just good on them? Is it, I mean, where does this, Dante Skarnecchia, I know you want to praise him because you do every single time we talk about the Patriots. It's true. And so you can do that if you want, but it's just like, when you know, when you know, and it's with these guys, like these, this is the horses. These are their horses. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. What, why, why can we not stop? Do you remember earlier when I told you that there's an element of rock, paper, scissors to play calling, and fans don't really like it. If you know the screen is coming, it doesn't really help unless you know exactly what play they're going to call it on. If you know they're going to call it on second down, then okay. But there were a couple times we didn't bring a lot of pressure on Tom Brady, and when we got frustrated and decided to bring a blitz, that was the play where he had a screen drawn up to that particular thing. There's a, a wonderful song that I would encourage you to go find on YouTube called Shady Brady and Bill Belichick. If you've ever heard this song, are you familiar no, with the song? I'm not familiar, no. So it is one of my favorite YouTube videos, perhaps ever. And this guy is singing a song that he wrote that he plays alone on his acoustic guitar. And one of the great lines that he says is that when you know what plays are coming, it can make a coach look cunning and make an average quarterback elite. When you know which plays are coming, it can make a coach look cunning and make an average quarterback elite. And that's one of the lines. And um, he's talking about how no more proper play selection into proper blitz protection. 
It's a great little line for Shady Brady and Bill Belichick. And the timing of the play call is about tendencies or it's about stealing signals, depending on how (laughs) how conspiracy you want to go. But the timing of the play call is about, okay, I know that when we get into second and eight, for example, if we run on first down and they stuff us, they really like to bring pressure on second down. We know that about them. And so if that happens and we get stuffed, we're going to call a screen pass on second and eight, knowing they're probably going to bring pressure that down. A lot of that is tendency scouting, and their coaches are great at it. Bill Belichick is the GOAT for a reason. It's not just because he cheats. That's not the only reason why. Wrong. And part of that is we just got outcoached. And getting outcoached by the greatest of all time is just kind of expected. That's not a knock on Sean McDermott and his staff. If that's you, it, just what it, that's happened. That's us saying Sean McDermott isn't the greatest of all time. Right. That's us saying Sean McDermott isn't better than Bill Belichick. If anybody said that to you, would you care? Well, I mean, I wouldn't, but I, I, maybe I, there I, are a lot of really the, angry the, Homer the, Bills fans who it, are going to say upset it, and get upset. Be honest with yourself. If if somebody told you, hey, Sean McDermott, I really like him. I mean, he's not as he's not Bill Belichick, and they're not talking about the cheating, and just, just leave those jokes off to the side. He's not Bill Belichick. He's not that good. Not yet. If he, if anybody said that to you, are you are you are you hurt? I'm not. Are you offended? I'm not offended. So like, I I get it. I guess I'm, that's all I'm saying is again we we're trying to tell you like it is, and we're not. But we're not. We're not. We're neither homers nor not homers. We're, we love this team. We're rooting for them. We want them to be successful, and we celebrate when they're successful. So it is what it is. Like Belichick outcoached us, I guess, in that sense. My I, father had an interesting, I think it was intended as an insult for me not too long ago. He said, well, you're not a real fan. He was talking to me and my wife about our Ohio State fandom. And he said, well, you're not, you don't, you're not a real fan. You don't count. And I said, what, what, uh, uh, I'm sorry, what? He goes, you're not a real fan. Not like your wife is. Not like I am. We're real fans. We believe. You're not a real fan. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, you're an observer with rooting interests. He said, you're a fanalist. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I said, uh, okay. He intended it as an insult, but I'm going to steer into the skid. I'm an observer with rooting interests. I'm, I, I am trying not to be biased, but I absolutely have rooting interests. And they're not booty, they're not, but they're not betting rooting interests. Absolutely not. Not I don't, just I, because of betting. I don't bet. <laughs> All right. Uh, I've only got a couple other things here about the bills. Let's go with, okay, this one's real quick. Cole Beasley, back from the dead. It's alive! Great game. Great game. Very good. I mean, this is my connotation. The bad games were the aberration, not vice versa. Cole Beasley's a good player. Right. Uh, that's, he's always He has been a good player. He, his drops and his two or three bad weeks, two and a half bad weeks, because I think he had, a, he had a game where there was a couple of drops like four or five weeks ago. I don't remember exactly what it was. But then he had two bad weeks you know, in a row with drops. I'm so I, right now until until we get more evidence, I think it's more that was the aberration, not the good is the aberration. Absolutely. So I mean, we were all way further off the cliff on this with Hauschka, and and, and rightfully so. Kickers, I, they when they go sometimes they go real quick. Yep. They don't like they don't meander and then fix it. They go. <laughs> they just are all of a sudden gone, and 
Hauschka played meandered with it and came back. So I don't. He, we don't really know what the apparition is. He brought us is, back right? from the edge. Yeah, we don't really know what the what the situation with Hauschka is. We'll see what the season you know what the next couple of weeks go through. But um, yeah, that's that's not with Cole Beasley. So we have to talk about the offense. I want to talk about the offensive line, a couple of guys specifically, and then I want to talk about Singletary. Which one do you want to talk about? Offensive line. Well, let's 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 check in. Let's do it. We're gonna do the Cody Ford check-in. How did our guy look? Not great, Bob. Not great, Bob. It wasn't terrible, but Lawrence Guy pretty much had his number the vast majority of the night. And the thing that Cody Ford is historically good at, which is run blocking, Lawrence Guy just just hurt him a couple times. Cody Ford was not terrible. It was not brutal by any means. But there were enough negative snaps for me to not feel good about it. And thus far, from Cody Ford's entire body of work, he's had a couple of games where you and I went, mm-hmm, maybe. But overall, the body of work has done nothing to change my opinion that he should be a guard. We've got some more weeks to that's more weeks to figure out. We're going to get more data on it because Ty's not going to play this week. I'm sure Cody Ford will play at least a portion of it. We, I think we're going to have to play Bates or Dawkins because I don't know if we have another tackle. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll, we're going to get more data on that, at least probably one and a half more weeks of figuring out whether or not Cody Ford can can do this long term. Well, I want to talk about the other guy, which is Deion Dawkins, because we've you in particular have championed Dawkins this season, you know, that we should be talking about because we're not talking about him. We should be talking about him because the fact we're not talking about him is such a positive sign that he's doing really well. I at a live watch, I didn't think he had a great game and he unfortunately fell down on a rep that is a bad rep to fall down on. Yeah, the last play of the game, <laughs> yeah. Deion Dawkins when fell they, down on. When they brought cover zero and we didn't have the right protection, Deion Dawkins also fell down. Yeah, so instead of <laughs> – I actually don't blame Josh Allen at all for the last play because – I can't believe he even got the ball There's to supposed to be one free rusher there, and there ended up being three, three free rushers yeah. that were in his face almost as he got the snap. I blame him 0%. For that last play. Now, he could have picked a better receiver to throw it up to than Cole Beasley. I don't know if he's your jump ball guy. (laughs) Like, when things go bad, I'm not sure Cole Cole Beasley's your dude. I don't. You, you, I mean, I don't know about this. He's a physical freak, so what? I mean, what, maybe this isn't a fair assessment. I got the sense that, like, the way his body was turned, Josh's body, when he got the snap and set his feet and realized what was happening. He knew I've got like 0.5 seconds. I've I've only got one guy that I can even get the ball to. So I, that was my connotation. But that's what you're gonna get. I, I can't believe he even got it to Cole. Zero percent blame for yeah. Josh Allen on that last play, given how badly that went. But overall, Deion Dawkins played fine, and he has played fine this year. Deion Dawkins, I don't think is going to be a stalwart Pro Bowl level left tackle for the foreseeable future. However, he is absolutely a starting left tackle in this league. He was voted a team captain, and he absolutely should be in the extension conversation. If he wants to be the highest paid left tackle in the league, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say no thank you. But if he wants to be a reasonably paid left tackle, then I think we can come to an agreement on that and get him an extension here long term. Is there um, any hesitation that you could do better? 
you can absolutely do better. Right. But the probability, understanding, understanding the money. But the probability of you doing better versus the money versus the stability versus the import. When you weigh all these factors in. You like the Deion Dawkins bet. Absolutely. Okay. That's fine. If I can get Deion Dawkins for a reasonable left tackle salary, then I'm absolutely signing up for Are that. Are you signing him at all because of his hands? Well, I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> but Deion Dawkins is the example of he checks all the same boxes that Tredavious White checks, except for elite level play. But all the other boxes, buy into the system, working hard, team leader, all that stuff, Deion Dawkins has. He admittedly took a step back last year. He recognized that within himself. He devoted himself to his craft in the offseason. He got better. This is everything that you want from a guy who screams process except for elite level starter. I The only thing I'll say about this is good season, bad season, good season again. I want to see him have another good season next year, regardless of who's next to him. Because now he, some people, and I, I'm susceptible to this argument, that Quentin Spain, being a veteran next to him, has helped him with his stability, right? Last year, Wyatt Teller maybe was who was next to him. Mm. And, and you know, just not, not a great combination. Dion had a bad year, blah, blah, blah. Next season, whether Spain is there or it's Spencer Long or it's anybody else, I want to see Dion be stable and and remain as productive and good as he is this year. And then I I will then want to talk about the extension. What Vlad Dukas wasn't your preferred left guard, Nick? No, I don't well, understand. That, I agree. No, I'm, and I I will say that that makes a difference to a young player. I think it was an experience for. I think it was a thing for him. Like he got to a point where he thought he could skate and be and and his production would be fine and then he learned boy if you don't take care of your shit and you have chicken shit next to you you're in for a world of hurt on the left side of the offensive line so this year i think he took it more seriously and brandon bean helped him by not giving him chicken shit next to him and so Next year, I just want to see it through. That's, that's all. Side note, your guy Spencer Long, when he came in on the last drive because Mitch Morris went, went out and yeah. Feliciano did not play great either. So that's not that's not really great not, toward the whole flip him to left guard potentially next year. Yeah. But it's a small sample size, so I'm not willing to really commit to anything. I mean, he also, yes, correct. He also played very well in what game when Morse went down and Feliciano came in? I don't remember what it was. You don't remember what it was either, do you? You know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bruce's, Bruce's eyeballs are doing like, if you imagine a person thinking and their eyes shoot up into their forehead and go back and forth as they're searching the synapses of their brain and they're like checking this drawer. Is it in here? No, it's not in here. Is it in this closet? No, it's not in here. And you're trying to figure out the information. Bruce just did that for like a hard 30 seconds and we don't have the answer. Ironically enough, there's a Bruce Nolan gif associated with that where he opens the drawer. Oh yeah, it shoots all the way, shoots out. All yeah, the yeah. way out and he goes all the way. I mean, I, I go, <laughs> oh, not he, I, right. I go all the way out. Oh, it's the old uh, file cabinet behind the wall trick. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 yeah. So either way, Spencer Long, I think, f- filled in admirably earlier this season. He did. Against 
lesser competition. So we just have to wait and see. It sucks that Morse went down and Long came in and he didn't just seal it like there was no there was no drop off. That is objectively a bummer. So speaking of like Dawkins and his hands and the offensive line, do we want to fire Dable still? Are we still I will say it this week. I I get out. I tweeted it, right? When that when that play happened, I said if you want to fire Dable whenever we run an unbalanced line <laughs> pass to the tackle on the goal line, was it third and third and goal with like four seconds left? If that is the play call that you go to and you and it and that's and you want to fire Dable, just get out. Just go. I don't know what you want. I don't know what you I don't know what you want. Wow. There isn't anything for you. I don't there isn't. It doesn't they're the perfect play caller who is just never interrupted. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And we don't even have premier talent on the offensive side of the ball. So like I, I don't know what you want. Boy. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. We want somebody to take our eyes and mind off of execution issues at the quarterback position. It's That's not, what we want. It's not, it doesn't exist. Now, I will say this. I, 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 have, I have a gripe with Dable this particular week. Running on first down a lot of the time. A lot of running on first down. Like... An inordinate amount, and I'm. This is someone who, who wanted a runner heavy game it, plan. I I think it was. You tell me if I'm wrong. I think it was the the Steelers game plan again. It was and, it was still that, and it was running that way out of heavy formation. So yes. that's my second gripe. My yes, second gripe is that their preferred method for dealing with what they expected the Patriots to do, which was you know they were to bring pressure out of man coverage with minimal safety help, cover zero, cover one kind of stuff, right? Their preferred answer to that was go go heavier on the protection. My preferred answer to that, well, I disagree with that, right? My preferred answer to that is spread it out and drill into Josh every week that this you beat it with quick passes. He actually did it later in the game when they I brought know. it to Cole Beasley. I, yes. That's what I want the answer to be because I think that's better for our personnel suiting. I, You're putting your worst players on the field in order to combat something they might not even do. So I disagree with those things, right? As a fan, I disagree with those things. But I'm still not willing. We want to fire Dable because we don't want to say Allen played bad. We want to fire Dable because we don't want there to be execution problems because execution problems are more frustrating for us to talk about. And we go things like, well, I mean, all we got to do is fire. Throw, throw to the open cap. Yeah, I mean, there are open players. Cole Beasley's open on third down. Josh Allen misses him. Yeah, Dawson I, Knox is open for on a corner route. Josh Allen misses him. Another one. That's... Or not, Josh Allen hits him and D- Knox drops it. So. Right. D- Dawson didn't even get the opportunity to drop pass. Although, he, that he, was a really good catch. Yeah. I over the shoulder. He, he was worried. Yeah. I uh, Yeah. The only, Okay. So, I, I will go back to... So, yes. Are there... I, I would have done something different, too. I, we talked about it earlier. They needed to abandon the Steelers' replica game plan earlier. Mm-hmm. They, like, they, they... I don't... 
I mean, I don't know. Again, Dable, it's 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 cat and mouse, right? Maybe Dable's like, okay, so they didn't do cover zero on that drive. I bet you they're doing mm-hmm. it next drive. They right. didn't do it on those two drives. I right. bet you they're doing it on they're this third drive. They're expecting to see something and, that and, never happened. And then it just didn't happen. Until it, the last play of the game when it happened that we didn't have the right stuff in place was, and we it, fell off. I don't know if it was four and a half drives in or whatever because at the sec- at the end of the first half, we went to it. And I was very happy. At the end of the first half, we were getting the ball back with abbreviated time. I was like, thank, I am glad for this because I want Dable to to see. I think, I mean, what do I know? But I, I really thought we are going to see a boost in offensive production when we go to this offense in this game because Josh is confused. Now, again, they're closer to it than us. You would think they would know more than us. So maybe I'm just like, I'm lucky that I got some that I got something that seemed right. That's fine. But it, it, that's what I wanted. I want Brian Dable here in 2020. It's really this simple. When you look at Josh Allen and you look at the things that he struggles with, they're not things that are fixed by switching a coordinator. They're things that could potentially be hurt by switching a coordinator and switching coaches and switching his quarterbacks coach and things like that. But they're things he needs time on task to fix. Continuity will help. Yes, continuity will help. When you looked at Jared Goff, and you said, what are his problems, right? A lot of that stuff could be fixed by not having Jeff Fisher as his head coach and having the offensive system they had. And when Sean McVay came in, he looked like a completely different player. That is not the scenario right now with Josh Allen. So don't use that as your example. Don't say, well, I mean, look what it did for... Look what it did for Jared Goff, because it's about the why. Why does Josh Allen occasionally have struggles? It's not because his offensive coordinator is terrible. There are open guys that Josh Allen is missing. And those are things that I I think Josh Allen has a capability of taking the next step next year and not missing those guys as often. But you know what will help with that? Repetition, 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 repetition. Something he didn't get a chance to get and something that overcomes his rawness. So I don't want Dable going anywhere in 2020. I'm not here for it. I'm sorry. I'm not. I don't want him going anywhere. I don't think he's getting fired. I don't care that fans say he should get fired. I think it's stupid. I think it's a bad take. If you feel that way, I'm sorry. Respectfully, I disagree with you. I, I, I literally, I think it's, I don't think it's a good take. I'm sorry. I said it's stupid. I I, I can't help it. I, I don't agree with you. We okay. agree on the fact that we think it's a bad take. Yeah. I So I'm not worried that he's going to get fired by any stretch, Absolutely by not. any stretch of the imagination. I don't think the organization feels the way that some of the fans do at all. I don't think McDermott feels that way. I don't think Josh feels that way. I don't think it's even in their mind. I am worried, especially depending on how the playoffs go, if we have a good run, I am worried of him getting a head coaching opportunity. Now, he's second behind Greg Roman. Greg Roman is going to get a head coaching opportunity. And there may not be a lot of head coaching opportunities this particular offseason like there were in the past seasons. So that helps our chances as well. And and it depends on what the organization wants. Like, for for example, the Cleveland Browns. They, if if John Dorsey, this is is something you and I know a lot about because we live in Cleveland. And a lot of Bills fans probably don't know or don't care about this. The Browns have issues, right? And they they have perception issues. One of the things that the Browns have a problem with is their their GM, John Dorsey, got flushed out of a really kind of a really kind of nice position to be in in Kansas City. And when a guy gets flushed out of a place like Kansas City, whenever you brought in a lot of talent, there's there's like a 
there's a per- like there's something wrong, right? Something's not right. Is you don't normally lose your job or get asked to leave whenever you do your job really well. <laughs> That's I you and I both have hiring responsibilities and firing responsibilities in our in our regular lives. We do. I don't normally do that. I have one time because it was a big problem. Like it was it was it was a terrible fit, like a god awful fit. But most of the time when you're really good at your job, you, you get to stay. You get to stay. <laughs> and you know, you get asked to go when it's a really bad fit, right? Or because and it, typically things are a bad fit because you're a little bonkers of some kind. You know what I mean? John Dorsey is a good talent evaluator who does a lot of other things bad about the job. He's he not good with the cap. He's a little overly aggressive. He's got a little bit of Doug Whaley in him. Yes. Oh, it's, there's it's a lot of zero, similarities. Zero culture. And and this is not just a Bills thing, but like zero culture, zero character considerations. It is talent above all. Yes. And it, he he doesn't want a head coach who well, will yes, question his yes, decision making. Yes, man. He because wants right, a yes, man. He came from a situation in Kansas City where he had a very strong and powerful head coach in Andy Reid. And he, one of the reasons that a lot of people are under the opinion he hired Freddie Kitchens was because he was going to have a yes man who didn't question him. Now there's some questions about Mike McCarthy coming in because he has familiarity with him. But I'm not sure that Brian Dable would really want to go in a situation like no, that. No, no. And so here's my thing: is it depends on the opportunity because not only might Dable not be interested. I think that anybody who is like an observer, and I have no idea how that how John Dorsey accepts that feedback, like whether or not he would be receptive or think these things himself, but he doesn't need a creative genius. He needs a steady the ship, mm-hmm. which would be Leslie Frazier, Frazier would be Ron Rivera, Mike McCarthy, it, Mike McCarthy. It would be one of those stability guys. And so it all depends on like us fearing losing Dable, which half the fan base doesn't even care. Like half the fan base would be happy if he got a head coaching opportunity, I guess. But the, those of us who are worried that we want him for continuity reasons, it it only it not only matters how many opportunities exist. It matters what kind of opportunity, because in certain fan bases and in certain team organizations, they don't need this guy. They need that guy, which is Leslie Frazier or. Ron Rivera type steady the ship. You need the right guy at the right time. Yes. And he has to be the right guy for the right team at the right time. Yep. We will take our last break, come back and talk about the playoffs because we're not going to talk about the Jets game because who cares? Be right back. Welcome back, everybody. As I said, who cares about the Jets game? Uh, This is Nick Bat. I am here with Bruce Exclusive. This is the Nick and Nolan Show. Where can they find you on Twitter, Bruce? At Bruce Exclusive. You can find me at Nick Bat. And we're not going to talk about the Jets game because we have no idea who's playing. We the game literally can't do anything for us. I do hope we go eleven and five. I hope we still win. Absolutely, the, the Jets. Are, I think it would be great to have Matt Barkley beat the Jets in Week Seventeen. Oh yeah, I would. Love I that. am going to be as relaxed as I have ever been watching a Bills game this week. Yeah, I agree. I agree very much. I'm looking forward to it, and I want to see Duke Williams do well. We're going to get to see a lot of guys that you have, like a TJ Yeldon. We're going to see a lot of guys who we normally don't see, and that's a, that's that's nice. I like that. It's kind of like the preseason again. You get so worked up in the preseason while you're trying to evaluate guys. Now we kind of get that at the very end of the season. Some of these guys that have just been hanging around, we're going to see them get a lot of run. So that'll be, that'll be good. Uh, Kevin Johnson's probably going to be on the field an awful lot. Mm. So, uh, yeah. I'm happy about it. Let's do this real quick. Singletary. Uh, 
he's getting like exclusive usage. I mean, Frank Gore like hardly saw the field, and we are leaning more and more into that, where Singletary is the only guy on there. And you said a couple of weeks ago that Singletary is not a do everything back. Mm. We are kind of treating him like a do everything back. Mm -hmm. Is that a problem? Right now, it's not a problem because of options. You don't have a home run hitter on your on your team. So when you want a home run hitter in, you're going to put Singletary in. When you want a between the tackles guy, you're going to put Singletary in. When you want someone who wants to tackle, who wants sorry, who wants to catch the ball out of the backfield, you're going to put Singletary in. Because you don't have, it's a little like corners. I, you know, I compared slot corners to running backs, and corners to running backs on a, an episode of Locked On Bills I was on with Joe Marino not too long ago, and we were talking about it. And you know, it's the right tool for the right job. Well, when you only have one tool, that's the tool you use because that's what you've got. Frank Gore is not not playing well and not running the ball effectively at this point in his career. I think well he had a good he had a good start to the season, but is it possible that he really only was doing like two or three things at the beginning and, and so like teams are like, ah, when he's on the field we know it's gonna be one of these two and or three that, things. There's a lot of that and part of it could be that he may have finally just hit a wall, right? We're not gonna know and probably until next year if he decides he wants to keep playing and goes elsewhere. I do not anticipate the Bills resigning him. But it is Singletary is our best back right now. And if Singletary were to get hurt we would be in a significant amount of trouble. We need to add pieces to the running back room this upcoming offseason. So we're seeing the Bills try to make Singletary do everything. That's what we're watching. Yeah. Okay. And we he could use a compliment. Yes. Right? Spelled correctly for Joe Marino because I misspelled it in my poll after he did a rant about it. So my mistake. <laughs> my God, that's Joe Marino's music. <laughs> Yeah, really. That's what I felt like after he, after he he's like he commented on my poll within seconds of it going up because I misspelled Singletary compliment. I did compliment like it's a like it, I, I'm I'm giving you a, a praise of some kind, not compliment as in something that that is an addition to. So my mistake, my mistake, idiot. What would a an appropriate, not a replica, not duplicating his skill set, but an appropriate compliment look like to Singletary. Because right now, I don't know if Bills fans know exclusively what he's good at because we're asking him to do everything. A height, weight, speed guy would be good. Someone who has a, a, a more significant athletic profile. We have vision and contact balance from him, and those are the two most important traits. But we do not have a Derrick Henry. Right? We don't have a 4-5, high 4-4s, 240-pound guy. We don't have a bruiser, size. A bruiser with speed? Yeah, we don't have size and we don't have speed. Ideally, you'd like to get both. Well, right? Is that what Derrick Henry is, right? Derrick Henry is kind he's of a both bruiser of with things. speed. Yeah, and he was a low 4-5 guy, I think. 4-5-4 four, four was Derrick Henry, I think, specifically. And that's a kind of player that we don't, we don't have. Now, I'm not saying go out and get Derrick Henry in free agency because you know how I feel about paying free agent running backs. Well, okay. So is there a – I mean, you you are watching college football all the time. Is there a guy that is going to be coming out that 
you would be like this this would is there an you know uh an aj uh cluster frack that's coming out of boise state or something (laughs) (laughs) that is coming out of boise state or something and you're like oh my god if we can get aj cluster in the fourth round of the 2020 draft i am gonna just blow my pants like is there is that does that guy exist uh Okay, I just need a, I need a minute. First off, <laughs> take a, take a, well, I'll take a deep I, I, breath. I here. need a minute to deal with what just happened in here. We want to reward the people who are listening past the hour on this episode. Yeah, that's uh, that's something. Well, I mean, obviously, it depends on the investment, right? It depends on the investment. You know, Jonathan Taylor is a great running back who has explosive, you know, potential. Is he a college player? Yeah, he's he's from Wisconsin, and but he might go higher than I want players to go. I mean, ideally, yeah, I want Travis Etienne, right? But you're going to have to invest a low first round pick in him and I'm I'm not interested. I'm absolutely not interested. J.K. Dobbins has enough wheels to get there and he can contact balance, he can break some tackles, can do a bruiser with speed. All that stuff is really great. Uh, Cam Akers just declared from Florida State, right? He's a good player who was on a absolutely horrendous Florida State team this year. I really like Zach Moss from Utah. He was oh, um, Boise State, Utah. We're in the I same. I really we're like in the, Zach Moss from Utah. That. If you could get him, if you could get him in the third round, I would think about it for sure. I bruiser think with, that, bruiser with speed. Yeah, he's got enough. He's a low four five guy probably, and you could probably get him in the third. If if he was there in the third, I would I would think about it. He's a bruiser. He's got really. He's got underrated receiving ability. I think he can do those things. I'm really, I'm a big Zach Moss fan. I think he's a good complementary back to, to what we have with now. Singletary. And I would be down for that. Okay. All right. Good. Well, let's let's now go to the playoffs. And there's not a whole lot to talk about because we don't know anything. We don't know who we're playing. We don't know when we're playing. the The, the options are we're either going to be going to Houston or we're going to Kansas City. Because they have locked up their divisions, I believe the Patriots cannot fall to four. They could go to three if Kansas City goes to two, in which case we get Houston. Correct. But the Patriots cannot fall to four. So we're not going to New England in the wild card. We are either going to Kansas City or we're going to Houston. Now, everybody is talking about how they want to go to Houston. Bill's yes. fans. And I think that that makes sense. Initially, I, I would rather go to Houston because I'm afraid of Kansas City's offense, and I'm afraid of trying to keep pace with Kansas City's offense. And I like the idea of trying to outcoach Bill O'Brien. <laughs> like I'm, there's a part of me that's like, there's a chance Bill O'Brien is going to do some Jason Garrett, Adam Gase shit, mm-hmm. and it's okay for me to have to deal with that. I also all I also think about travel. And the, the, the length of the flight and the time changes and stuff like that. Now, it's not going to be 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, more than likely. So Houston's a little bit further flight. I It's not as far west. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know that I have a clear picture aside from Arrowhead's a tough place. Probably tougher than Houston. There's a couple reasons why I want Houston. You, you specifically want Houston. Absolutely. I, I, I'm circling Houston. As in, like, I think I want this. I think I want this. I will I tell think you why it. you should want it. Okay, them. good. Go. Number one, home field advantage, not really much of a thing in Houston. Reliance Stadium, nobody – has you ever heard anybody say that Reliance Stadium is a hard place to play? No. Never? I have heard that about Arrowhead. Okay. But you have heard about Arrowhead. In addition, 
there's always a chance Bill O'Brien's going to do something crazy. Yes. But in addition to this, the biggest thing is Will Fuller's hurt. Will Fuller is low-key the unlock to that entire Houston offense. When Will Fuller plays, they're really good. When Will Fuller doesn't play, they're not as good. I mean, so when you take Will Fuller off the field, the next person you worry about is DeAndre Hopkins, and we have Tredavious White and potentially a bracket. Yes. So now we have to shut down Deshaun Watson, who's who's a good a good quarterback. And we played Deshaun Watson really well last year, and we probably should have won the game if Josh Allen hadn't thrown up all over himself, then gotten hurt, and had Nate Peterman come in and give us a shred of hope with a nice touchdown pass to Zay Jones and then do the Nate Peterman thing where he throws a pick six and it crushes all our souls. So I'm not scared of Houston. In fact, I would be I would pick the Bills to win in Houston. That's how good I feel about it. I would go in with the optimism I went in against the Steelers. I would say I think the Bills are going to win this game. If I go in against Kansas City, I will say I think the Bills are going to lose this game. That's the difference for me. That's how stark the difference is. The fun thing about this two being the fifth seed is that the other wild card game matters because it tells us where we go to Baltimore or we go to New England. Mm-hmm. Because if the sixth seed wins, they will go to Baltimore. If the three seed wins, Kansas City, they will go to New England. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's exciting. Like I, I as I I want a crack at. I mean, I might be crazy. I'm not afraid of going to Baltimore. Like, I, I don't think that we necessarily are going to win. I'm also not afraid to go to New England, though. Like, I'm not, af- I don't, I'm not afraid that we're going to go and get embarrassed in either place. If we win a playoff game, I'll be very satisfied with this year. I don't think this is a Super Bowl team. Now, anything can happen. Joe Flacco can get, gets hot. Josh Allen can get hot. Josh Allen can get ridiculously hot, and we could go to a Super Bowl. Eli like that's, that's within the realm of possibility. Not necessarily reasonable possibility, but when you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. Well, there's a reason that the guys who have won the Super Bowl on the AFC are like, what? It's, it's Brady, Roethlisberger, Brady, Roethlisberger. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. Brady, Roethlisberger. <laughs> like, Joe Flacco. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, like, right. that's all that happens. And the same is true on the NFC side. Eli Manning. Rodgers and then all the good guys. Rodgers and Wilson and Rodgers and Wilson and then Eli Manning. You know, it, <laughs> it, it's – that's fine. You might get one of those years. I'm not that even worried about that. I just, even if we go to the AFC Championship game, that's where I would kind of be like, eh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> like, whoever's gotten here has been refined, just like we have. But I, I don't, I'm not I'm not afraid of Houston. I, I'm not psyched about playing Kansas City. But I'm not afraid of Houston. And if we go to Baltimore or we go to New England, I'm not going to probably put money down that we're going to win. But I'm going to enjoy it. Like I, I'm going to believe that there is there exists a way a path to victory. If we win a playoff game, I'm going to enjoy the whole thing because that's as far as I'm concerned, that's as reasonable of a success as you could possibly have imagined this particular year. Especially whenever you picked them to go eight eight. Exactly. So I'm, the, I'm playing with house money right yeah, now, baby. I'm lot, good. A lot of us are playing with house money. Do if we lose to Houston, are you overly disappointed? I'm moderately disappointed because I think we can beat Houston. Yeah. All right. All right. We will be back next. I actually don't know what the schedule is next week yet for the podcasts because it's a New Year's Day and everything. 
but I don't know when it drops. I don't know when it drops either. Okay. Well, we don't know when we'll when you'll talk to us next. <laughs> I don't we know. know when we'll talk, but we don't know when you'll listen. Yes. So Bruce and I will be back together after the Jets game to talk about whatever is happening for the playoffs the following week. It'll be early in the week that we're going to record because of the holidays. It just is what it is. So we will do our absolute best and still give you good stuff. But just so you know, if there's news or things that happen later in the week, I mean, it is what it is. And we don't even know when the pod's going to drop, whether it's going to drop Wednesday or Thursday or what. So uh, Anthony Marino and, and everyone else over at Buffalo Rumblings, I think, are still hammering out those details. But as always, we thank you for joining us. We hope you had a Merry Christmas. You want to give us another Santa? Uh, another ho, ho, ho. I just got to get propped up. Ho, ho, ho. All right. I hope that was worth it, everybody. You went in, you stuck with us for an hour and 20, just for that, just for Bruce's another ho-ho-ho. So, as we go into this game against the Jets, and we're going to just find, we're going to find out who we're playing next week. We're going to find out where we go for the wild card round. This whole weekend, just don't ever forget this little detail. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha. <laughs>